Bonjour, bonsoir, dear friends. Welcome, bienvenue on JCB Live. This is our wonderful happy hour time. And today we're going to be with a great friend, an incredible, charismatic, and so talented and charming man. Unusual for a writer to be as charming as he is. And you will discover for yourself very soon. He's been heading the wine side of all food and wine magazine, a major job, one of the most incredible magazine in the history of the US. He was before that running Amex, then Wine and Spirits magazine, and of course, Fortune magazine, needless to say, and travel and leisure. Quite a man, quite a resume, born and raised in the fabulous state of Texas. And Ray is doing so many shows today, from today's shows to food and wine, magazine shows. He has an incredible Instagram. Everybody should follow. I'm very pleased to welcome all the way from New York City, our very good friend, Ray Isle. Bonjour, Ray. <laughs> Bonjour, Jean-Charles. It's nice to see you. <laughs> It's great to see you. And Ray, I love that charming look you have. What a beautiful beard. Is it a new, a new COVID-19 evolution? Like like many people, I, I took the opportunity of, of not going into the office every day to to, to just experiment with a slightly different look. Um, you know, I, I I jury's out. My my daughter hates it. My wife likes it. Um, the rest of the world can decide for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so when that happens, because Ray, you've always been great advice. You have a beautiful wife and a great daughter. I have the same. I have two daughters. If one says one thing and the other the other, do you go to the wife's? Opinion, or you go to the daughter's opinion? I I go to my wife's opinion. It's much safer to go with my wife's opinion, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll cheers to that. Cheers, absolutely. Um, and, and welcome on JCB Live. I'm so thrilled we are together. So over the last few days, you were up in the Northeast, and you just came back to New York City to check I in did. with the magazine. I did. Um, we were close. I was up in Maine, and but the place we have in Maine is in is is terrible Wi-Fi, terrible cell connection, and we're closing an issue of the magazine and I needed better Wi-Fi. So I, I came back to New York for a time. I'm going to head back up to Maine, get away from the city. Um, well, it's a beautiful place. And needless to say, the summer coming, isn't it one of the most pristine place in the entire U.S. at this time and pure? It's spectacular. The air is clear. The, you know, the water is gorgeous. Um, it's quiet. Uh, there aren't 10 million other people breathing down your neck the way there are in New York. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I, I definitely intend to turn around and head back. Um, I do have to well, get... We're delighted to catch you at the perfect time. Now, Ray, you said you're closing the new issue of Food and Wine magazine. So maybe you want to give us a little preview. Maybe we'll be lucky enough to, to yeah. have an insight. So, we, so, you know, we work with print, at least. We're a few months ahead. So we're closing the September issue, which... Interestingly, is a travel issue. Um, <laughs> September is always a travel issue. We've had to rethink that a little bit, um, but we have some interesting, interesting stories coming up in that. Among them, and we did a kind of redo, rethink of this. Our, our best restaurants around the world um, package. Of course, restaurants right now are very complicated, but um, a lot of places are opening up. Europe is largely open, though we can't go there right now. Um, You know, so, and it's the same, we run into the same thing. We, I mean, our July issue is on stands right now. It's our annual restaurant issue, which are best new chefs, best new restaurants. Um, we were closing that right when COVID hit. And so it was a very, very, you know, to use the word of the, of the, 
of the moment. It was a very fast pivot <laughs> to yes. a different. <laughs> to uh, it was a lot of work actually to rethink the entire issue and try and anticipate th- three months ago what the restaurant w- world would look like right now. And we did. We got. I mean, I think we did a surprisingly good job. Um, and you know, the the best new restaurants that we picked out are almost all. Well, alas, one of them has, has closed before we got the issue out, but uh, the rest of them are still in business. Um, Good. The best new chefs, you know, the fact that there's a pandemic going on doesn't change the fact that they're insanely talented and they're going to be great and they're going to, you know, change the way we think about food down the line. So, uh, so I'm, I'm very, I think of all the issues I've actually worked on at Food and Wine, this may be one of the ones I'm most proud of because it was such a, I mean, it was such a, you know, all hands on deck, everybody panic. Let's figure out what we're doing with this. And, uh, and sometimes we do our best work in panic mode, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, harvest every year is basically panic mode for, for winemakers. <laughs> well, you um, know that well as a cellarite you've been when you actually started. Yeah, right? I, worked, I worked, you know, hauling hoses and cleaning out barrels and driving a forklift. And I managed to back a forklift over my foot at one point while standing next to the forklift trying to steer it. That was not really very bright. <laughs> <laughs> a true Renaissance man. And really painful. Do it all. <laughs> and how, how does a cellarat and a man originally from Texas goes to the wine world and then become a wine writer? What a great journey. Would you tell it's, us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was, it's been a kind of a crazy journey because when I, I mean, even through college and, and graduate school, I had no earthly clue I might be involved in wine in any context whatsoever. I was headed down the road to probably becoming an English professor. Um, and what happened was that I, I got, you know, often it's because of, you know, love affair. I, I got interested in wine because my girlfriend at the time was working at expensive restaurants, high-end restaurants. And so she was acquainted with wine. I used to go wait for her to get off work and sit at the bar and they would pour me different things. And I thought, well, this stuff's actually really quite tasty. I didn't grow up with it at all. And, um, and what happened was I moved to California for a, for a writing fellowship. Um, oh. and, and, you know, in grad school, but it put me in the Bay area and I started hanging, I started going, I mean, I started doing what everybody does. They go to Napa Valley and visit wineries. And then I started visiting more wineries. Then I started thinking, well, this is actually really interesting. Maybe there's, maybe I could write an article about it someday. And essentially, I, I started. I found out. I can't remember who told me. I think it was actually a sales guy at K and L Wines told me that you could, like, for some of the small wineries I was interested in, you could you could help out with bottling because they were using a bottling truck and they'd pay you in wine. Huh. You just sort of have a day. Water is the best the trade. So I did that. Yeah. So I um I did that, and then I thought, well, what if I actually worked harvest? And so I became a you know unpaid intern harvest rat, basically, you know, seller rat, harvest rat, whatever you want to say. And I did that for two years while I was still teaching creative writing. And at the end of that, I, I just realized I had no interest in going into academia. I definitely wanted to go into wine. I didn't know that I was going to write about it necessarily. I I thought, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I ended up through a really weird series of personal connections and so on. I ended up being the, the, the supplier rep, for Dow's and Graham's ports in New oh. York City. <laughs> so I was hauling a bag of port around New York City. And I can tell you in August, hauling a bag of port around New York City is not a way to make sales. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you must have had cheese too with it. Why are you here? It's typically how it's eaten in the U.S., right, with the cheese. Yeah, it's it is, but it's not eaten at all during the summer. <laughs> yeah, but, for sure. So, but so what? What the thing that really changed everything was I wrote an, a, a a piece about Stanford graduates in the wine business for the Stanford Alumni Magazine, and and Josh Green at, at Wine and Spirits, one of his staff people was a Stanford grad, and they, he saw that they they actually that guy sent that article to Josh and said this guy lives in New York and he seems to work in the wine business and he and he can write. You should get in touch with him. Josh got in touch with me, and that conversation very quickly turned into a job offer with with Josh Green at Wine and Spirits. Well, and, and that was, and he's a fabulous man. Wine and Spirit magazine, and obviously uh, has a lot of wonderful insights. So that was your beginning into writing officially was, for a magazine. That, that was when the writing and the wine came together, basically, because I've been writing fiction and, and whatnot, and I've been doing some freelance journalism. And I've been doing wine, but I hadn't gotten them to really come together. And that I spent five years at Wine and Spirits, and and that was kind of my graduate education in wine because we were tasting because also we were tasting forty wines in the morning and forty wines in the afternoon. Um, you know, like forty McLaren Vale Shiraz in the morning, forty McLaren Vale Shiraz in the afternoon, forty Chiantis in the morning, forty Chiantis in the afternoon, and you do that and you learn really quickly. <laughs> you saturate yourself. Yeah, that's the way to do it, though. You know, mm-hmm. the more you taste, the hopefully the more you know. Often, I think the more I taste, the less I know. But that's another that's another story. And then, where did you go from there? Because that's a great start, obviously. After the Stanford uh, alumni, which you still do, and are you still part of it? I kind of stopped writing for the alumni magazine. Um, a year or two after I got to New York, um, I, and not for any real reason, but I, did, I kind of stopped doing freelance work while I was at Wine and Spirits. I didn't really have time to, and I didn't really need to. Um, and the other thing is that, wine, and I started traveling too, which is the, one of the best things about writing about wine is you, you you get to go to places that have vines, you know. And since the East Coast office of, of Wine and Spirits covered Europe, um, I started traveling. I went to Champagne. I went to Spain. I went to, you know, and and... And if I didn't know that I wanted to write about wine before that, that definitely cemented it. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is amazing. I could, you know, they'll actually pay me to write about wine and I get to go places. It's the, it's ludicrous, you know, and, and pretty wonderful. Um, so. What an experience. Well, talking about bubbles, Ray, yes. to celebrate us seeing each other virtually, which we haven't done except, you know, a few times, Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love for you to describe in a few words this amazing wine that is a Pinot Noir from Burgundy. This is called the JCB 13. And as you know, in Burgundy, with Crémant de Bourgogne, we're very innovative of great villages, Premier Cru, and sometimes we venture into Grand Cru, and we vinify them as such. So this is 13 in honor of my lovely wife. You know her well, Gina. I do. I do. And this is all about foreverness, divinity, when she's good to me, and of <laughs> course, my passion. Right. So give us a few words on that, because this is 100% Pinot, something you adore. Well, I, I adore Pinot, and this is, and what's, what I love about, I mean, it's, it tastes like, it smells like Pinot, it tastes like Pinot, you know, it, it, you've got that, that, I mean, it's a, even though it's a sparkling wine and it's, and it's sort of pale salmon color, it, it smells of berries. It smells of, you know, of, of, 
of strawberry and and a little bit of, of raspberry. And it's also just so um, invigorating. It you know you, you take a sip and one you want to take another sip, but two it just kind of it's what I find with really good sparkling wine. It just it, it always reminds me of the um, the Willy Wonka scene with the fizzy lifting. Juice. Oh, I love it. You know, it just you you start to elevate in your chair. You know, um, so I, it's it's I'm lifting. Yeah, so lifting, I guess, is the word for it. You know, it's. Well, it's thank kind of, you. It, 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 it you know it, it gives you more life. Um, so. Well, I love it. And yeah. she does too. So it's a perfect pairing. Yeah. So Ray, what advice would you give to um, people who love wine? who fall in love with it like you have today and they want to go into writing. Any, any suggestion you have for them? Yeah, um, sure. First thing, um, make sure you know how to write about anything, about everything. Like study writing as a, as a, as a skill. You know, the fact, I think people sometimes make the leap that because they can articulately talk, they can also therefore put down on the page exactly as articulately as they speak. And it's, and writing is its own skill. It's, you know, how to craft a story, how to put a sentence together in a way that, you know, that, that pulls the reader along rather than makes them go to sleep. Um, so, so don't just take it for granted in terms of your, your own ability with prose, like study prose and, and as much as you study wine. Um, yes. That's, you know, and flip side is learn everything you can about wine. Um, and that doesn't mean, necessarily like the depth of the chalk soil in every single location down to the millimeter. It's more about learn the people, learn the places, learn the stories, because as a, as a writer, you're a, unless you're writing technically for the trade, let's assume you're writing for consumers. You're, you're really telling stories. You, you That's are right. captivated by it. And readers like food and wine readers, at least may want a little bit of technical information. They certainly want to know if this is Pinot Noir, but they also want to know, where it came from and what that place was like and, and, and who made it and, and why they decided to do this wine. And so you have to kind of assume that you're always learning with wine. You know, I mean, I, I, I've been doing this for 20 years. I, there's no question that I, there's endless amounts that I need to still learn. Um, and then the other thing is, is publish anywhere you can, because it's, it's hard to start out writing for a, a large print magazine, for instance, you know, publish, publish your own blog, publish, you know, find local regional, um, you know, publications, digital or not, that will publish you. I mean, I literally, I started out writing for the Stanford alumni magazine because I was in grad school at Stanford. Um, I've written for the Rice alumni magazine, you know, write, write, write for anybody that you can sell it to. And don't worry about whether it's in the, it's, you know, I think what's under pitched in wine are wine stories to, to publications that don't focus on wine. Um, yes. I mean, you know, Amtrak magazine, uh, you know, who knows what, um, you know, the, I mean, who knows when we'll be flying in airplanes regularly again, but airplane magazines, you know, you just have to think of, think of that magazine, think of its audience, and then think of a story that ties into wine that would make sense for them. That's a great advice. Now on that note, Ray, you have an amazing Instagram and, Facebook and social media. Tell us about this. So besides food and wine, people can follow you. Yeah. yeah. Details because you're very avid editor and publisher in those. Yeah. So I, I do a lot of social media. I've done a lot of TV, um, which again, I didn't plan to do, but, but sort of happened. And, and, you know, similarly 
to writing, you know, when I started doing TV stuff through food and wine, I did local New York one station, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. No one national when it comes to TV will put you on a segment without some sense that you're not going to be a complete lunatic or, or flail around hopelessly. So you end up doing smaller audience things before you do large audience audience things, but it's a black, I mean, it's, it's just another form of communication about wine. It happens to be visual. And I love doing, I mean, I, I, I'm on Twitter and I'm in, on Instagram and I'm on Facebook, like, like everybody, but I particularly love Instagram because of it's, it's so visual and it's, it, it's so much fun capturing the image. Um, and it, Twitter right now, there's so much that's political and, and, and angry. Really? Yeah, you, you may have noticed <laughs> it's the strangest thing. <laughs> So Instagram is kind of so so risky. Ray. The name is Ray Isle. As simple as that. Instagram, it's Ray Isle. And I'll tell you on Twitter, I'm Isle Wine, and the, and the reason I am Isle Wine is there is already a Ray Isle, and it is a retired guy in Australia who lives on Raymond Island off the coast of Melbourne, and he registered this a bazillion years ago. He posts like once a year about soccer. And I, I keep meaning to write him and say, look, would, you know, sell it to me, give it to me, whatever. But, um, but it's so <laughs> random and funny that I just... I know the feeling. We've had a few of those as well. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Ray, you, um, you mentioned something very unique earlier on. You talked about new food trends. And I know yeah. we'll talk wine more, but um, the way we perceive food, the way we see food, the way we cook food, the way we enjoy food in restaurants, What is your view of this evolution? Because I'd love to hear your version of it. Right now? I mean, the COVID sort of? Yes, I think the post-COVID. It's so, it's so hard to know. It's, I mean, I think, I mean, I've been on a couple of panels about the future of restaurants and so on. And I think the, the upside is that people who get, who get into restaurant, owning restaurants in the first place or chefs are, are by nature entrepreneurial people. It's not, it's not a safe job choice in any way whatsoever. And so I have faith in their ability to ride this out in terms of creative, you know, whether you're serving, whether, I mean, right now in New York, for instance, everybody has outdoor seating because yes. the government allowed for it. And it's, and the, the, the speed at which things have been built and sort of fenced off and, and, and made to look quite nice. I mean, it's New York is looking kind of weirdly Parisian right now. It's the sort ah, of, I love it. it's, and, and it's, yeah. And it's, and I don't want it to go away. I think it's great. You know, who cares? We lose a few parking spaces, big deal. Um, but I think that the real question is how long this COVID thing is going to go on for, because it, it does mess with the, one of the great things of restaurants, which is service, which is the, the, which is which is the interaction between the staff yeah. and the customer and the, and the, I mean, you know, from going to restaurants, one of the great things about a great restaurant is how, how sort of welcomed you feel there and how, you know, and how you, you know, the interaction with the person, you know, who's the wait person who's coming to you and the sense that there's a chef in there who has a, personality who's making this food for you and the, and the, and this the bustle and the and the warmth of, of everybody in the place and it's it's hard to envision a restaurant world without that um and so so i'm really hoping there's a vaccine for this thing quickly um hmm. but it's you know i'm more optimistic than i was a month ago let's say and just sure. and it, literally just walking down the street in new york in the evening and seeing all these people out dining outside you know separated by six feet does give you hope 
I think, in a, in a good way. Absolutely. Well, you posted a great story, and I believe it was with Food and Wine, but you've, you've echoed it on social media about making bread at home and going back to the basics. Would you share with us uh, a little bit about this? Yeah, so I did. I, I like many people. I started making um, sourdough bread at home, and and I and I I don't. I, I mean, it's become almost a cliche. But um, what what was nice was that one of our editors at Food Wine, who is a who is a baker, um, and she she bakes a lot and knows really knows what she's doing. She kind of did a like a, a Johnny Appleseed trip through. Um, through Brooklyn, dropping off sourdough starter at other staff members' houses for them. Um, so <laughs> Margaret Ebby. And so she, she dropped off. I, I met her on the street. She gave me a little, you know, plastic thing of sourdough starter and I started making sourdough bread. And then I did this completely. Are you sure it was sourdough? Because, you know, you never know little things in plastic bags in New York City. You never know. It could have been anything. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and it's alive, you know, so who knows? <laughs> it, it seems, I mean, it seems to have created bread, so I'm guessing it was sourdough and not something illegal. I have no idea, but um, but it you know I ended up doing this completely insane video about pairing wine and sourdough bread because people do get a little over specific about pairing sometimes. Yes, and and I, so I had some fun with it, which is still on my Instagram site. Is, is <laughs> well, on that note, what do you think is the sociological evolution of the American society, the American kitchen? people cooking at home, people staying home more, people in a European way, so to speak, inviting mm -hmm. more people in their home. Do you, do you think that's going to be a new trend in the U.S. at some stage? I think it might be. I, I'd like to see, you know, I, I don't want to see fine dining go away, but I, I, I do think, I mean, of course not. Um, it's interesting. I think people are rediscovering cooking partly through this forced isolation. Um, yes, you know, statistically, just looking at our website, our website traffic, and a lot of our content is recipes. Our website traffic has been through the roof for this yeah. period. I've used it a lot, just to let you know. <laughs> yeah, good. Please keep 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 doing so. You know, we but love it, it so well done. A lot, a lot of people searching recipes and cooking, and yeah. and I, you know, I cook. I've, I've I've been cooking for a long time. I love to cook. Um, it's I find it. Uh, the act of chopping is very soothing, especially if you're if you've got un, you know unexpressed anger. Right, so when we cook together, you'll do the chopping. Then. I do the chopping. Yeah, that's it's, the toughest for me. Yeah, it's um you know it, it's very zen like. So, but I hope that people will keep cooking at home. I, I mean, I certainly want them to go out to restaurants and support that community. But of course, it, it's such a pleasure to cook a good meal at home and to you know I've been because it's what I do. I've been photographing what I cook with with the wines I've been drinking. Um, you know, but it's, it's a pleasure to cook for other people too. It's, you know, it's, it's very rewarding, you know, it's, um, and, and so, um, I do think that there's been a boom and I mean, there's certainly in, in baking bread, but also I just think in cooking across the board. Yeah. I'm with you, you know, at Buena Vista as an example, which is the next wine we should try mm -hmm. this love Chardonnay that I really want you to give us your opinion. We've reestablished throughout this period, outdoor seating, of course, which is mandatory. Yeah. Great pairings with cheese, with charcuterie, with, um, you know, all different kinds of dry fruits and mm -hmm. almonds and walnuts and pistachios and even drip honey with your cheese. And people are really interested in it. I'm amazed about how many questions we get and how people then ask us, okay, where do I buy that cheese or where do I find 
right. these beautiful breadsticks. And and I think people are becoming more engaged in that. Wouldn't you say so? I think I think so. I mean, I I think people are. The truth is that being at home all the time is somewhat boring. <laughs> so one way you can actually make life at home more interesting is by expanding your food horizons and, you know, trying different cheeses. I mean, one thing you can order online, you can get cheese. You can get cheese sent to you at home. If you haven't had, you know, a really extraordinary blue cheese from wherever, you know, Vermont with, you know, um, Bailey Hazen blue from, you know, is a, is a great blue cheese. You yes, can try I that. agree. It's, it's I a, love it too. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's a great it's, way to travel. Thanks to food and food recipes, as you do so well in the magazine and and on your social media, you can travel through recipes. Yeah, absolutely. You can you can sit at home and and open a bottle of you know of of sparkling wine from you know Cremant de Bourgogne. You can have some um, you know Delice de Bourgogne cheese. You can have some Epoisse. You can have you know um, you know can you can cook. I don't cook whatever you like, cook some kidneys, you know, <laughs> but, um, I love but, it. You're but it's, but today. <laughs> you're, you're in, you know, then you're in Von Romane in, in a sense. Um, that's true. Yeah. Well, talking about a great Chardonnay land, I wanted you to try this new wine, Viticultural Society from Buena Vista. As you know, you've been there. We, we bought this amazing winery that is the first California's first. It founded in 1857. And this is a, um, a new vintage expression of Chardonnay from Sonoma County. I'd love your comments in a few words. And then for you to tell us a little bit about the virtual evolution of the food and wine classic, because you were the yeah. creator of one of the most amazing events where you meet people, you interact, you get to taste wines and the tents and meet the vintner. And we get to meet the people who really purchase wine, not only here in Carmel, of course, but the Aspen one yes, as well. That's right. So after you describe this wine a little bit, why don't you tell us about that evolution and how you're going virtual? So uh, this wine, which I quite like, by the way, um, which I, uh, which because my I turned off my AC is warming up quite quickly in my apartment. Um, but it's lovely. It's um, you're still looking great. Not dripping sweat yet. It's, it's about ninety outside in New York right now. Um, but what I like about this wine is there's there's that lovely lemon cream kind of character that's that's that feels to me like it's I mean it's so no I don't know where in Sonoma this is if it's Carneros or it's it's um yes because Carne it tastes like Carneros to me for sure it is well done I didn't look at the label I just opened it and poured it and I don't have my glasses on couldn't read it anyway um so, but it's got that that beautiful kind of lifted lemon cream character but it's got underlying it is a little bit of spice note um and it and the, I like the way the spice note ties to the finish which is which is quite dry um and I'm not saying you know it's a dry wine of course but there's a little, little tiny note of, of, um, I mean, it, it, it tastes almost as though there was a tiny bit of skin contact or something. Cause it's mm -hmm. a, just that little, little infinitesimal hint of astringency that, that freshens it up. Um, wow. and so it, it really is, is, is beautifully refreshing actually. It's, you know, it, it would be, 
an ideal wine to sit outside with a picnic and a roast, a cold roast chicken and, you know, and some, again, some cheese, you know. Well, That's, I might as well do that this weekend. That's a great suggestion. <laughs> you know, you, what the hell? You're in a, you're in a beautiful place. You might as well. You can, you can come out of the dark, you know, cave that you're in there and go into the sun. <laughs> well, coordination for the description, you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Extended skin contacts. And I know you love that Pinot. I wanted to thank you as well for putting it into the top 20 wines. Yeah. It's a terrific, uh, I mean, what's the stuff that's going on with Buena Vista is fascinating because it's, it, it really is, you know, it was the first bonded winery in California, wasn't it? Or that's what, right. Yeah. Um, and the you, first one to really, you know, bring a viticultural vitis vinifera from Europe, you know, mm-hmm. over a hundred thousand different cuttings and obviously making sparkling wine method champenoise in those beautiful caves in, in 1863. So I think for you too, um, as, as we talk about Aspen and, and what you do virtually, I, I have a feeling, Ray, and we've had this discussion together, are Americans ready to be very proud of this amazing history that they've had and really put it forward like we are with whatever stuff? I hope so. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting that you look at the history of wine in the U.S. compared to Europe. It's so short. It's, it's yes. like, I mean, our history, I mean, the history of wine in the U.S. is, is, is a blink compared to how long it's been in Europe, but it's, it's gotten now to the point where it's long enough that it really is a history and it, and it deserves, you know, you know, we, California has been making very, very good wine since the 1800s, you know, that's right. And, you know, and, and I can't remember, I, Buena Vista may be one of the ones that was recognized in the world's fair. That's uh, it. I know that. Engelman you have an amazing was. memory. That's it. Yeah. The wine in the world's fair. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a long time ago at this point. And so that, that deserves um, taking some pride in that, I think. Um, you know, and, and we think, you know, you came here, Stanford, obviously you're writing with food and wine. I personally think as a Frenchman that it's so important we talk and as we present wine to the world in general, we present it through its history yeah. and through the past and through the different centuries. And I think it's important as well, we start to do that in the US so people feel prouder about their heritage and more confident. Yeah, I think it's, it is important. I, the, the U.S. has always been very, I mean, we're very fond of the new, you know, it's, it's in, in a different way. I mean, Europe has more, um, just traveling through Europe, you, you sense that the past is more present in the now, you know, that you yes. can't get away from the past. And the U.S. wants everything often to be just, we want the new thing, whatever it is. But there's a lot of power in, in having that history and it, and it's, and it's important to recognize it. Um, so well, talking about that, you adapting so well yeah. <laughs> as a magazine to the digital space and into the virtual world. So tell us how you're going to translate all those great events you do. Yeah. With and with Amex and, and all yeah. that within a virtual platform. So, so for instance, I mean, the big one we have coming up is we're doing a virtual version of the food and wine classic in Aspen. And I mean, we had to cancel this year. Um, uh, oddly enough, a 5,000 person festival was really not going to happen in June. That's <laughs> so so bad. We love it so much. And it's a great event. And I've been 15 years running. I, I love it. I mean, it, it was, you know, it's heartbreaking to have to cancel it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful gathering and it's a party and it's, and it's, and it's all about food and about wine and it, um, and it's a big part of my year. And so it, um, 
it's just weird to cancel it. It's it's and it's one of the longest running, if not the longest running, major food festival in in the U.S. So um, this is the first time it's ever been canceled. Um, but we are going to do a virtual sort of scale, somewhat scaled down, virtual version of Aspen on July 23rd. It is um, free to register for if you go to. Um, if you either go to the food and wine website or go to foodandwine.com um, slash classic, um, you'll find the registration information or go to my Instagram. It's, it's on there. If you scroll down. That's great. So and how is it going to be organized? Are you still going to do sessions live as, as going to do sessions live? It's going to be two and a half hours. I believe it's not, it's not a hugely long thing. We have, um, we have chefs, we have, uh, two wine, uh, seminars, the wines, for the seminars, we teamed up with wine.com, so they'd be available around the country. Um, so you can order them in advance if you want to taste along. But I mean, it's very, I'm doing a, a, a what wine goes best with pizza um, uh, Love it. seminar, which is a blast, you know. And if you can't find the Chianti, that's one of the wines I'm using, you can use another Chianti, you know, if you, you know, if you, if you would rather use a ham and pineapple pizza for some insane reason than a pepperoni pizza, um, you know, go for it. Um, and and so the idea is people will taste along and I'll talk and, and at least be moderately entertaining, I hope. But that's just one section there. We have a number of chefs who are going to participate. We have um, Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery who's going to do a beer presentation. Great. And and it's, it's um, ideally, it will work seamlessly as this kind of flow from one event to the next. So it's almost as though you're going to an event, except that you have to be in front of your computer, computer or if you can stream to your TV, your TV. And it it's... And again, it's, you know, we, we decided it seems silly to charge for it. We've set it up where oh. when you register, there's, a, there's an opportunity to donate to a number of charities that we're tied in with, which is important, I think, especially right now, yes. um, like World Central Kitchen, Jose Andres, various others. Um, but that's voluntary. You, you can also just register for free and listen and taste along and, and, and have fun. You know, it's something to, it's a little bit of a, of a, so, when you still charismatic when you do your wine seminars, how are you going to have the guests have the wine at the same time as you speak about them? Well, that ideally, if people register in advance, they can actually order the wine. There's a special package set up with wine.com that will that will be delivered to them in time for the tasting. Oh, right. So you have that so, set up. So that's yeah. So we have that set up with wine.com. Um, and it's, there's a link on our, you know, on our registration page for it. Um, I mean, I'm doing three wines. I'm doing a Pinot Noir from Oregon, a, um, sparkling Italian rosé and a Chianti. We'll see which one goes best with pizza. I mean, people might think the Chianti because it's Chianti, but Hey, sparkling rosé, you know, we just had some, it was very good. I could, I could drink that with a pizza. So <laughs> in fact, the great pizza recipe I was looking at, I did it with the ladies who are twin ladies and mm -hmm. Gina, and we looked at one of the recipe from food and wine. So uh, you were good. close to our mind and our hearts. Yeah. And actually this seminar really did come out of the fact I've been cooking a lot of pizza at home right now. Cause I've been making bread. I've been making dough and pizza's black. It's actually really fun to make. It's, it's easy. It, oh, it's easy. It and great. you don't need a pizza oven. You can just use your regular oh. oven, which is great. Turn it up really high. That's it. <laughs> you know, and then don't forget about the pizza. <laughs> it's like, so wait, yeah. tell us as well about the Today Show that you do. And yeah. so I do. Well, right now I'm not doing a lot of TV because 
because <laughs> because because the, all the stuff. But yeah. I have been doing the Today Show regularly for the past oh god ten or eleven years now. I think um, initially with I mean it was Kathy Lee and Hoda, and now that's that's shifted. But um, but I did you know. I love TV as a medium to talk about wine, even though the segments tend to be very fast and very short and you can't impart a lot of information. The reach is so huge. Yes. And, and it and it reaches an audience because it's such a broad audience and because it's not a, a wine-specific audience, you get to teach or tell people about wine who wouldn't otherwise pay attention to it. But it's the, the one thing you always have to remember about TV, it's a visual medium. It's, it, you know, there's not much you can do with, with, a glass of wine other than kind of swirl it and sip it. So you have to come up with something else. Well, we've had fun a few times together. Thanks <laughs> to you Will, on the today show. And yeah, made yeah. It fun. it's it's fun. And it's, it's a, it's a huge adrenaline rush when you do it. I, I, I was lucky. It certainly wasn't the plan, but I spent a lot of time in college acting in plays. Um, uh, that was a lot of my spare time was spent doing that. I didn't, do it because I thought it would ever be useful for anything. I just love being on stage. And um, it turns out to have been extremely useful. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're so good on it. So on that note, uh, what inspires you, Ray? Because everybody's going to know you if they don't already, which everybody does, but they'll be on your social media. They're going to watch you on today's show. They're going to be on Food and Wine. What, what drives you? What inspires you? I would try, you know, what inspires me particularly when it comes to wine, weirdly more than individual wines, it's people in the business. I, I, you know, whether it's winemakers or winery owners or sommeliers, um, you know, stories come back to people almost always, no matter what you're, you can be writing about a specific Grand Cru in, you know, in, in Burgundy, let's say, but somewhere in the line, if it's a really a story, it comes back to a person and, and, their inspiration to make that wine or their family history, you know, and whether it's Henri Jaillet or who, you know, who knows who. And so I, and I, and I, I find that the wine business, the wine business inspires me because the wine business is unlike a lot of other businesses in that most of the people in it are really invested in wine and love it. um, Which I think is different from law, let's say, or, you know, um, or, I don't know what else, car sales or, or something like that. Yes. No, absolutely. You know, and so that plus the agricultural nature of wine and the connection to the land is, is all incredibly inspiring. Um, and so I, it's, it's, I sort of wondered at some point if I would get bored with wine and I've, I have yet to get bored with wine. I, I mean, I, I hope never to get bored with wine, but you do wonder in any time in a career, you kind of wonder, well, is this, you know, am I going to be okay doing this for the rest of my life? And, and so far I haven't, I'm also inspired, you know, I'm, I am inspired by really great writing and not, yes. not typically wine. I don't read, I don't read that much wine writing for pleasure because it's what I do for a job. Um, but yes. I read a tremendous amount of nonfiction and novels. Um, really? And what do you yeah. recommend right now? Um, right now. So what did I just finish? Um, Let's see. I've been reading mysteries. Actually, there's a there's a mystery writer um, who just passed away recently, Andrea Camilleri. Um, who wrote a long series of mysteries about set in Sicily, um, which are, are are quite wonderful. Um, and then I also uh, what else have I been reading lately? Um, the book Sapiens by Yuav Noah Harari, if I've got his name right, um, is a is a remarkable 
um, remarkably brilliant, condensed look at the history of humans. Yes. Uh, and, you know, and, it, and it's... I have this book and it's amazing. It's I amazing. I agree with you. Yeah, and it, it, it was, and that's the kind of thing that does inspire you. You read it and you think, For one, sure. I don't know how he he condensed so clearly and so in, brilliantly, you know, into a, into a very readable story, you know, with a vast history of an, of an entire species that has to be sentient and, you know, and, yes. and we're part of. Um, it's really quite something. Um, so that was, that was remarkable. Um, and you read a lot? I read a ton. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I read, you know, I, I also read, I recently read, um, there's a wonderful novella by Catherine Ann Porter called Pale Horse, Pale Rider, which is set during the Spanish influenza epidemic in 1918. And it's mm-hmm. about a woman and, and I mean, it's about a young woman who's a newspaper writer and, and her, her fiance or boyfriend, and then about the, the, the epidemic and, and what happens to them. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that's what it's a beautiful novella, but it also ties back to right now in a way that's kind of unexpected. So I went back and reread that um, for the first for time. For sure. God, 20 years. How do you see, as I'm pouring the next wine, which is a yep. great wine, I'm reading a lot about the history of the West, of America and California, and, you know, from the 1840s, 50s, 60s. This is another great wine from Buena Vista. We wanted to keep you focused on history because we, you know, right. you, know you love history. Um, how, how do you see society evolving at large? Because you, you're an intellectual besides food and wine. So what's your view of, of the evolution we're going to experience in the next you know, quarter of a century or century to come? That's a, I mean, honestly, right now, I'm quite worried. Um, it seems that to me that the sort of polarization of society is only becoming more mm-hmm. profound. I, I think that unfortunately, some of the tech aspects of society, but social media particularly, is driving that that um, kind of intolerance on, on all sides. Um, and I'm worried about the decline of democratic institutions towards autocratic um, governments, not, you know, not necessarily throughout, not just the U.S., but um, through yeah. Europe right now, um, the rise of far-right organizations in Europe. I mean, it, it's a it's a worrisome time. There have certainly been other worrisome times. Um, For sure. But I, you know, I also think that, I mean, and this is a very, um, uh, I'm not an expert in, in uh, social analysis of large cultural things, but um, I, I, do, I have been wondering whether some of this, there's an aspect of, of what's going on with technology and how it's linking us together that is somewhat dissolving national barriers um, or national boundaries. And we're used to living in a world that um, where nations are the defining political entities. Now, that's not, that's nations are not, have not always been the case. Um, you know, it's really fairly recent development in the history of humans is that we have nations. Um, Very true. You've had tribes, you've had kingdoms, but the kind of what we, the way the world is structured right now. So you, you do start to wonder whether if, if what technology is doing is, is a, is a slow just dissolve of national barriers, whether it's that part some of this, nationalism is a is a response to that and a kind of a a, a a reactionary response against it but is it a reactionary response against something that's absolutely inevitable 
So as you so well, so well noted. Uh, so what is your advice to your daughter? What discussions are you having? And um, recommendation, maybe suggestions to her. <laughs> study well at school. <laughs> you know, yes. Stop, well, that's stop a good start. Stop goofing off. <laughs> you know. Um, now, I, I mean, my recommendation to her is, uh, you know, I, I actually, I actually do recommend that she read and study as hard as possible. Yes. Knowledge is knowledge is power. Um, I, I think you know, I do recommend to her to be flexible. That, you know, that the thing you think you love when you're 17 may not be what your career is. Um, yes. You know, and point, you know, and, uh, and be open to, you know, be open to things. I think that's, you know, it's, you know, life is, you know, a lot of the surprises of life are pretty great. So, you know, don't be, don't be fearful. Um, that's you know, a great advice. Well, you're a very open-minded person yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, mean, I tried to start to where you are today. I mean, your, your path, do you believe in destiny, Ray? Um, I, be, I don't believe in destiny exactly, because the, the one problem I have with destiny is that if you believe in destiny completely, then you, then you get rid of um, free choice or free will. Yeah. Um, so, but I do think that chance plays a giant role in things, and, and chance can be a form of destiny. I mean, if I hadn't happened to meet the girlfriend I met at the time I did, and if I hadn't gotten the writing fellowship that took me to California if I got a writing writing fellowship well, instead that went to Michigan then. I wouldn't be in the, the wine and destiny could be defined differently right yes exactly um you know I like to think maybe I like to think that the good things that have happened are destiny and the bad things that happened are chance <laughs> <laughs> well I asked this question because I really feel knowing your background and having been fortunate to know you for many years and admiring you, I, I feel, you know, you were meant to do what you're doing today. You have the charisma, you have the energy, you have the talent, you have the skills of writing, you have the open-mindedness, you love food, you love wine, you love people. Yeah. And I feel there's, there's no accident that you are who you are at this level of your life for, for no reason that it was somehow written. I, I think I got, I, I really do believe I got very fortunate in that I, I have been allowed to do the thing that I would do best. I, I mean, whatever, whatever happened that, that got me to the, the play, the job I have, uh, I'm very grateful for, because I, I do think that I'm, you know, much more than if I'd gone to law school and become a lawyer. I'm, yeah. I'm well, let's say you're talking to my daughters now who are half of the age of yours. And you got lucky to be allowed to do what you like. Mm -hmm. Tell me, define that further. How do you drive that? Because this is very well said, but yeah. don't you think you had a great deal of influence within this path? Mm -hmm. I do. I do think you do. You know, it's it's funny. Um, you know, I, I actually got some advice. Um, you know, Robin Lale probably. Um, of course. I, I got some advice from Robin Lale when I was doing that first article about Stanford graduates. And I was talking to her about getting into the wine business. And she said, you know, don't, don't look for a job, create the job you want and, and find a way to do it. Um, oh, and, and it was, it was, it was the right advice at the right time. And I, it's like, when I brought up lawyers, I don't mean to, to dismiss lawyers. Cause I have like a very good friend who is a brilliant lawyer, yes. but, but, but 
he's doing what he was meant to do. I would, be, I would not be a brilliant lawyer. I would be a, I would, I'm too, I mean, I, I don't like arguing that much. Um, you know, and so, well, Robbins wants to argue when you can agree. That's right. You know, wine, wine's all about agreement. It's, um, you know, wine, is, wine, I just wrote, you know, uh, in something uh, for work, actually, that, you know, one of the magical properties of wine is it's, it's, it's ability to bring people together. It, it really, it really does dissolve boundaries. I mean, if you drink too much, it dissolves them completely and you fall over, but you know, it's, it's dissolves <laughs> gravity, <laughs> but, but, yes. but it does, it's a, it's a, it's a social binding thing. And it's really kind of wonderful that it does that. Um, and in a way that I don't think distilled spirits do, you know, no. so it's, it's a slower, you know, you drink wine over. But I feel as well, you, when you taste wine, you taste culture, you're interested in the sense of place in the, mm -hmm. the cultural that surrounds it, the civilization that goes way back. I mean, I've observed you so many times, not only giving seminars, but obviously publicly speaking and, and writing, you're really interested in what is behind, right? Yes. Always. I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, I mean, that's the most interesting thing about wine to me. I mean, it's nice, it's nice to say it tastes like blackberries or it tastes delicious, but, but what the story behind it is always the, the motivating thing. You know, I've always thought one of the biggest sign of intelligence is curiosity. How did you develop yours? Because you're so audaciously curious. I think I, one, I think I got lucky in terms of my parents um, who were, you know, my father was a professor. My mother um, was also, you know, studied English and studied literature. And, and so um, they were very curious people and you, you pass that down. I think yes. um, I also, I also have always loved to read and I read voraciously and you can't, you can't love to read without being curious um, because yeah. part of the, why you read and, and reading rewards that curiosity because you learn so much about, you know, if it's fiction and a novel, you learn about what could be. And if it's nonfiction, you learn about what is, but either way you're taken out of what you already know. Um, <laughs> well said. You know, so now maybe we're discovering your passion throughout those words. What, what is Real's passion? Um, my, I mean, my, my passion, my ongoing longest term passion has been for writing. I mean, yes. I, it, it happens that wine was what I was meant to write about, but I knew from early, early on that I wanted to write. That was what I wanted to do. Um, and I think that comes out of reading, you know, you, you read and you think, well, I'd like to make something like that. Um, but I love music too. I, 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 I can't play anything and I, and I'm not technically, I can't listen to something and tell you that it's a G minor seven diminished, whatever. But I, I find music is, is, and I, and I kind of don't want to know um, too much because I can sh enjoy music purely as a, as a amateur. And it, it, I mean, throughout my life, music has been, an, you know, what has been one of the sustaining passions that I have, whether it's seeing, whether it's visiting, going to concerts live or whether it's listening, you know, at home alone. I remember the great party you organized in Aspen and you said, Jean-Charles, you should come. And we were dancing together at the yeah. pool. Up and dance, dancing is, dancing is early in the morning. So you <laughs> have the rhythm <laughs> yeah. in your blood. I see that. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mother taught dancing, taught ice dancing, actually. So it's, uh, you know, I, I, maybe there's some, some internal rhythm that's been, been there all along. But yes, Aspen does tend to involve a lot of dancing at three in the morning. It's a, it's a, yeah. 
<laughs> we won't, we won't, we won't be having that in the virtual one part, but it, should you want to dance at three in the morning after attending the virtual thing, please do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ray, a, a quick uh, question. I've struggled in my life uh, with reading novels mm -hmm. because I, I have to read something and learn something from it. So the philosophers I love, history I love, and sociology I love, anthropology I love. What do you recommend to dive into a novel and escape? Because I have a hard time doing this. What, what specific novel do I recommend? In general, In general. Uh, how do you get into a story and just succeed into reading a novel versus a reading that is educational? I think, I mean, what I like about, I mean, What, what novels, I mean, there's two things going on in most novels. There's the story, which is narrative, which like a movie pulls you along. But the novels have a way of getting into the interior of humans, the, the, you know, why we feel the way we do and what we think, why we think the way we do, um, you know, the, the, the human yeah. in conflict with itself. And that, I think that's what makes them particularly compelling to me is that it, it you know, I, I, I can't remember which writer said it. But um, but the basic quote was, you know, great novels don't answer questions, they ask them. Um, oh. And and so they make you, th ideally, you put down a book, a, a great novel, and one, you're satisfied with the story, but two, it's made you think. It's made you yes. act, like think about people and how they interact together or was the way they acted the way they should have acted or, you know, and, and it's, you know, it it requires a sort of um, imaginative empathy, I guess. Um, oh, I love how you say it. The way it makes you think. I love it. Well, talking about making us think, isn't this yep. wine? This wine the is sheriff. Just, yeah. The perfect one with your pizza. <laughs> yeah, this would this would be an excellent pizza wine, I have to say. It would also be a very good steak wine. Um, I hope I'm making you jealous. I'm serving it from our Baccarat JCB Passion Collection own design. I'm, I'm serving it from the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Even better too, because you have an amazing sherry badge. The bottle, the badge is quite something. So, so at, which makes me ask, because it's what I do, is why the sheriff? Well, in 1850, the Count of Buena Vista was one of the first sheriff ever in California, and in specifically Southern California. Really? Next to the first mission, the Catholic mission, you know, there right. was 21, 22 missions from... San Diego to Sonoma. It's very funny because he started at the first mission. The prison he built as a sheriff was next to the actual first settling. And then he moved to Sonoma in the last mission and he built Buena Vista. So in honor of his incredible life, he was very orientated towards the community as well, like you are, right. and doing a lot of things for others as you do. Uh, we thought this one would be appropriate and we wanted to obviously honor the count in his life because, you know, you are great at what you do today because of where you come from and what you've done before. And he was a great sheriff. Mm -hmm. So we thought, let's create a, a, a blend of the key great varieties of California that he brought. So you have Grenache, you have Zinfandel, Cabernet Sauvignon, Petite Syrah, Merlot, Mission, The first grape ah, that the Catholic mission in it. Okay. <laughs> so this is the wine. So that's, so that's fascinating. I mean, there are so mission is a fascinating grape because it was the first grape that came to the California. And uh, I've just been writing about Chile. It's there's, there's Pais, you know, as it's called in Chile, there are, that's two, right. 
they've never had phylloxera. There's 200 year old pais vines producing wine in Chile, but it's you rarely see it in a blend in California, almost ever, um, which is strange. It's a, uh, it's, it's a, uh, I mean, it's a small percentage, but it's um, I, I was, I'm happy to hear there's Grenache in it. I thought there was, it, it tastes, it's got that kind of generosity of fruit that Grenache gives, and yes. I love that. I love that variety and, and there's more and more going on with it in California, which I'm kind of fascinated by. Yeah. Uh, it's uh it's, it's such a, when done well, it's such a delicious wine and it, but it's also terroir transmitting because it, it's so different on sand than it is on granite, let's say. It's, um, Absolutely. What, is this, is, is this an expensive wine? Uh, it's around 40, 40 to $50. So it's very reasonable. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. Quite amazing. Uh, what a cocktail of grapes. Yeah, it's a quite a cocktail of grapes. Uh, and is it from one particular part of Cal- Sonoma or is it? Well, yeah, we focused in Sonoma, very close, in fact, to the winery. Okay. And, you know, we have amazing hillsides. So when you talk about Zinfandel and Cabernet, you have that beautiful Monterosso vineyards. Mm-hmm. And we surrounded with incredible places. So this is a little bit of rock pile, a little bit of everything there so the whole idea was to harness it as the history of the count around sonoma and create really an amazing red blend something that is spicy and unique and deep and thoughtful and and in some ways powerful yeah and and delicious it's and it makes me want to go out and grill something (laughs) <laughs> well, it's still time. So it's still, it's still tricky in New York City in, in a second floor apartment. <laughs> <laughs> well, just open the windows, you know. Right. Ray, you you could you could uh, walk around New York City, you take off the badge. Right. Sheriff badge. Because in honor of all the sheriffs, you know, many sheriffs are members of Buena Vista because of it, and they love the wine. You put it on your hat and you say, you're part of the Buena Vista Sheriff Association, you won't get a ticket for smoke. That's, that's good. I, well, as long as I can get, if I can get out of getting tickets for parking, that's the key thing. That's, that's the key. That's, that's, that's the killer in New York. <laughs> well, I always have a bottle of this in my trunk. So whenever I get pulled over, this is the remedy against the ticket. <laughs> Very clever. Well, Ray, a few more questions, but one I've yeah. always wanted to, to ask you and, and what is your dream or a dream you're willing to share that you've never yet or you haven't yet fulfilled? Um, there's a number, actually. I mean, I, I do want to publish a book, um, and I yes. haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, a novel, right? A, a novel or, or, or a book on wine. Um, don't know when I'm going to have the time to do it, but I want to do that. Um, I also, I've, I've always been, I've never been um, to India. I've always wanted to go to India oh. and check it out. Um, it's a... Uh, I mean, I, I, it's a fascinating place to me. I've been a lot of places in the world. I've never set foot there. Um, I have some very good friends who are Indian writers. Um, so I would be able to travel with someone, which I think is, it's always good to travel with someone who knows a place well, locally. And, and let us know, you know, we have a joint venture in India with Kapil Sekri. Mm-hmm. We make a wine exceptional named J. Noon. Okay. One of the most recognized wine in, in India in terms of quality. And uh, we'll gladly welcome you there. So let us know when you're coming to India. Okay. And the third thing that it's still a dream that I've never gotten around to doing is make is making wine. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked as a cellar rat, but I've never made my own wine. And I, that I think anyone who writes about wine 
has to be curious about whether they can actually pull it off and make something that I would actually recommend to someone, you know? Well, you know, we could start at Raymond Vineyards. We do the winemaker for a day. Oh, that's true. So we could make a small, you know, a few cases for you. Right. You could distribute it and see the response. And then you can see, see if I see if I can actually sell my own wine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, it's a great outcome. Why yeah. not? This is the only thing you haven't done in the world of wine. Food wine recommends it highly. It's a <laughs> <laughs> so final question, Ray, and you won't escape that one. Mm-hmm. What is, uh, is there a secret? Because, you know, I've seen you late at night, early in the morning, in many circumstances. So I know a fair amount about you. Um, is there a secret you've never shared you're willing to share? Secret that I've never shared that I'm willing to share? Well, I said, there are plenty that I'm not willing to share. Let me, let me think <laughs> of what I'm, I'm willing to share. Um, yeah, let's, let's see what would can qualify as a secret, though. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, I mean... I did pretend to be someone else once and went to a business conference in college just to see what it was like to be someone else. Uh, How did you feel? It was interesting. People kept addressing me by a different name. A friend of mine had been invited to this conference and he, and he couldn't go. So I just pretended to be him. And it was before nine 11 and everything. So you could actually like get on a plane and not worry about them checking ID that carefully. I do the same as you. I pretend I'm Jean-Charles West saying this is my twin. So, you know, We can always play with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that qualifies as a secret, but I certainly didn't tell many people about it. <laughs> so now, Ray, you're full of wisdom. You obviously have an amazing, incredible career. You're a great inspiration to so many. Is there a message you want to send to the world as your closing statement today that your daughter, your wife, all your friends and all of us, we, we'd love to hear? Yeah, I mean... It's not a very profound message, but I, you know, I do think that, you know, it's always trying to have a glass of wine with someone you don't know that well, so that because you'll, you'll get to know them better afterwards, and you'll probably like them more. <laughs> I love it. You know, that's a great advice. Yeah. That's, wine that's, that's is the right. catalyst of discussion, conversation, and hopefully secures friendship, right? Yeah. And if everybody did that, then I think the world would be, you know, uh, we get along somewhat better. I love it. Well, Ray, under those wise advice, under this wonderful conversation together, I want to thank you for being part of the JCB Live. And I cannot wait for everybody to go onto the Ray Isle Instagrams, as well as the food and wine, and obviously start to spend even more time with Ray because it was only a short hour, but he's fascinating. (laughs) Ray, I want to raise my glass to friendship and your talent. Thank you, Jean-Charles. So nice to be here. Um, or be here, so to speak. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Love it.